Well, good morning. All right, y'all gonna have to speak a little more than that. Um, I know some of y'all started attending since last time I preached. I'm the preacher that needs somebody talking back to him. I need a little dialogue, just, just giving you a heads up here. Um, if you have your Bibles, would you meet me in Mark chapter 10? Mark chapter 10, verse 13 through 16 is where we'll be in God's word together this morning. The passage will also be in your bulletin, will be on the screen behind me uh, as well. Uh, as Zachary mentioned, I'm Evan, I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Central, really thankful to be able to be together and, and worship uh, the Lord. If this is your first time with us, we've been in a sermon series titled Encountering Jesus. Uh, where we are looking at the different narratives of Jesus' life and ministry. Uh, we call these different narratives the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Four historical writers sharing from their vantage point how Jesus came and brought redemption and restoration to the world. And in these narratives, we have been looking at moments where people have encountered Jesus. And what we see over and over again is how often encounters with Jesus would disrupt expectations. He showcases his glory, his love, his power, often in unexpected ways. And yet, that's what it means to encounter Jesus. We experience him in ways that we didn't even know we needed. And this morning, we're going to look at one of those unexpected encounters, Jesus with little children. And my prayer is that as we see Jesus in this encounter disrupting expectations, that we would also see the invitation to come and encounter Jesus in our lives in unexpected ways. And so if you're able, I want to invite you to stand as we read Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. Hear now the word of the Lord. And they were bringing children to Jesus that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you that you are the living word. And that your word is, is active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And so Lord, I ask that you would pierce our hearts this morning. That we might be renewed. And Lord, I ask that as I speak to the ear, you would speak to the heart and transform lives. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Uh, I'm a child of the 80s and the 90s. Uh, I really claim the 90s. Uh, the, those were my biggest formative years. And part of what it means to claim the 90s is that you claim the 90s as the golden years of television. Uh, I, I may be biased, but I think the 90s produced some of the best works of media entertainment since the advent of television. 
And, and I feel somewhat justified in my claim because I keep seeing reboots and remakes and reunions and spinoffs of so many beloved 90s shows. And one show that I loved, that I have to confess, is actually a remake of a show in the 50s and 60s, so I'm not helping my case here. Uh, but the show I loved was Kids Say the Darndest Things. This is a comedy show wherein young children are interviewed and pontificate on various topics of life, ranging from politics to healthcare to pop culture, you know, the important things of life. And the premise of the show is that if you ask enough questions, the kids will say something off the wall that is both hilarious and unexpected. As the, the theme song says, no telling what, no telling when, never a dull moment. Kids say what they want to. Kids say the darndest things. The point of the show was to demonstrate the unfiltered, unvarnished, and untamed temperament of children to showcase how endearing they can be when they say and do the unexpected. And one of the reasons why the show was so popular is because there is a clear understanding. Children are not the same as adults. We just see things differently. And children tend to uh, be more imaginative and also less polite. Um, and some of y'all that deal with kids know what I'm talking about. Um, for me, as a parent of two very talkative, energetic kids, I know what it's like to hear some of the things my kids say and see what my kids do and just shake my head in disbelief. And what the show is capitalizing on, kids say the darndest things, is that kids say unexpected and even inappropriate things, and kids do unexpected and even inappropriate things, and they are welcome here. When everywhere else they would be embarrassing or shameful, maybe even infuriating, here, on this stage, in this segment, all that they are is welcomed and even celebrated. In some ways, I feel like the show captures some of the heart of Jesus and the essence of the kingdom of God. We see it in our passage for this morning as little children are about to encounter Jesus. But there is a discrepancy between how Jesus understands what it means to welcome and celebrate and even bless and how the disciples understand it. The gospel writer Mark lets us know at the beginning of chapter 10 that crowds have gathered all around Jesus, which keeps happening in Jesus's ministry, and Jesus begins teaching. No doubt Jesus was bewildering many in the crowd by his eloquence and power. And at this point in the gospel, Jesus has gained a following. He's become prominent. He has performed many miracles and taught many profound radical lessons. People are so enthralled by him and in awe of him. He has gained the reputation of being a prolific rabbi, a mysterious and great teacher of the law, which infuriated many of the religious leaders of the day because Jesus was no typical teacher. And the impact that he had on people's lives had never been seen before. And of course, we know why that is. Uh, it's not because he was just a teacher or just a prophet or just a miracle worker. No, Jesus was and is God Almighty himself incarnate. And he came to usher in his heavenly kingdom. His disciples 
were among his first followers. And, and, and I love looking at the disciples and, and how they are presented, especially in Mark's gospel, because these men were constantly missing the mark. They were constantly misunderstanding and misrepresenting what Jesus was doing in the world, and yet Jesus never threw them away. He was never so exhausted by their doubts or their fears or their sin that he decided that he could not use them. I'm preaching already. You just don't know it yet. Part of Jesus' heart and desire for the world was to manifest his kingdom in and through the lives of broken, marginalized people who are unlikely, unexpected assets to his economy. He does so in order to show off his grace and his glory. As the Apostle Paul has said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world to bring to nothing things that are not, so that humans might, might uh, no, no human will boast in the presence of God. That's God's heart. And there is no better example of this than this encounter with Jesus. Little children are being brought to Jesus. Other accounts of this story point out that at least some of these children were newborn infants. It's pointing out that these kids were not able to bring themselves. Their families were bringing them in order that Jesus would touch them or bless them. And this was a common Jewish custom. Parents would bring their children to the synagogue and the elders would touch the child and speak a prayer of blessing over them. These people wanted a blessing for their child. That they wanted Jesus' blessing. Perhaps because they saw him as Lord, they at least saw him as a great teacher. But then we begin to see a series of unexpected moments. First, is in how we see the disciples interacting with the children. Verse 13, the disciples rebuked them. Other translations say that the disciples scolded these people. How dare you approach Jesus? How dare you think that he has time for you? How dare you think that he has affection for you? How dare you think that Jesus wants you? What do you do when you've come wanting to encounter Jesus, but the church is standing in the way? What do you do when, when you have acknowledged your need to be in God's presence, but his followers have told you that you're not worthy? Do you know what it's like to feel that exposed and unwanted? These families have opened themselves vulnerably. And as I said before, what they are asking is not extraordinary. It's not unusual. It's, it's an appropriate expectation. They want a blessing. And they have come to the be best place to get it. But they're turned away. What are the disciples thinking here? The text doesn't say, but we know when we read the gospel that these men struggled with the idolatry of greatness. We see this in Mark chapter 9. 
where they are arguing amongst each other who is greater than the other. And Jesus calls them out. And he does not tell them to not strive for greatness, but to reimagine what it means to pursue greatness. And the example he uses is not the person that has more degrees than a thermometer. It's not the person that has money and cars and property. It's not the person with great power or great status. Jesus points to a child. He essentially tells them in chapter 9, if you want to be great, take lessons from a child. And not even a whole chapter later, children come, and instead of welcoming them, the disciples are still stuck in the idolatrous ranking system of greatness. And they have determined that these children are clearly not great enough to be in the presence of Jesus. And they don't just turn them away, they rebuke them. As if to say, you are foolish for thinking that Jesus would want to waste his time on you. Have you ever felt that? Do you know what it's like to feel like you're just not worth the time? That your needs and your problems are just not worth the time. Why pray about your sin? God doesn't really care. Well, why try to get a blessing from God in your life? He doesn't have time for you. Why did you even show up here at church? Don't you know that church is for the neat, put-together, polite folks? You're too messy to be here. Your loneliness is too messy. Your questioning is too messy. Your anguish is too messy. Your, your marriage is too messy. Your life is too messy to be here. God doesn't have time for you. Have you felt those messages? May it never be that Christ Central Church does not welcome messy people. May we never lose touch of our own messiness and need for God that we can't stand the messiness of others. You are welcome here. Amen, somebody. Amen. You're welcome here. So first, we see the interaction between the disciples and the children. Second, we see the interaction between Jesus and the disciples. Verse 14 says that when Jesus saw this rebuke from the disciples, that he was indignant. I, I love the gospel writer Mark because Mark likes to display Jesus's emotions. Uh, can, can you imagine the look on Jesus's face? Some of us might have a hard time picturing it, but Jesus was outraged by their behavior, outraged. He was furious that the disciples would treat little children like this. And I want Jesus to get them. I just, I just want to get on their head. I, I just want to be like, Jesus, get them. I want Jesus to be like, what is wrong with y'all? We just talked about this. I just showed y'all a child and how you should take your cues from them. Why do we have to do this lesson again? Don't you see how far off y'all are? I mean, I want Jesus to lay into them. 
And why I'm to shame these disciples? Because I forget that I'm more like these disciples than unlike them. I forget that I too am often stuck in the idolatrous ranking system of greatness. But Jesus doesn't do any of that. Even in his indignation, Jesus does not shame. He, he does not throw the disciples away. He doesn't turn to the crowd and say, see, this is why y'all shouldn't come to church. I mean, ain't nothing but hypocrites and judgmental people in this church. Everybody in here toxic and dysfunctional. Y'all should go somewhere else to get your blessing. He doesn't do that. I love how even God's anger is an expression of his grace. His anger is an expression of his grace. He is incensed because he wants to bring us near, not push us away. And he doesn't want anything to get in the way of that, including our pride. So in his grace, he gives the disciples another lesson about how to enter the kingdom of God. And he says something unexpected. Not only are these children great candidates, they actually have the best resume. You actually need to be like them. How so, Jesus? Sometimes the most difficult thing to bring to Jesus is nothing. Sometimes the most difficult thing to bring to Jesus is nothing. He doesn't want your accolades. He doesn't want your abilities. He doesn't want anything that you might use to convince the world of your worth. He wants nothing but you. In your exposed, vulnerable state, he wants you. And your vulnerability and exposure and messiness are actually assets, not liabilities, to being part of God's kingdom. As the songwriter says, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless looking to thee for grace. Jesus flips the ranking system of the world in the kingdom of God. Instead of training children to be well-behaved and worthwhile to be fit for God's kingdom, we need to let children train us on how to be low and needy and dependent because that's the entry point of the kingdom. Children know how to be needy, don't they? I mean, children cling to their parents because they know they need what they need and they are not afraid to depend on their parent to get it. Amen, moms and dads, big brothers and sisters and babysitters, y'all know. Even if that parent doesn't get any sleep, even if that parent does not get anything else done, I don't care how tired you are, my needs are what matter to me right now. They need what they need and they're going to get what they need. And they cling to their parents. Jesus says... That's the posture you must have if you're going to make it into my kingdom. 
Are you low and needy? Thirdly and lastly, we see the interaction with Jesus and the children. Verse 16 says this. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. You missed it. That's okay. I missed it too. I'm going to read it again because it's just that good what Jesus is doing here. Verse 16 says, "Mm." and he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Mm. Thank you, Jesus. I got a whole nother service. I ain't fooling with y'all. I ain't fooling with y'all. What's happening here? So you remember verse 13, right? In verse 13, it says, the people brought children to Jesus that he might touch them. Now keep in mind, the gospel of Mark is the shortest gospel. It is the gospel that is fast-paced and straightforward. You are not going to get as many details from Mark as other gospels. But here, Mark actually slows down and gives more details than the other parallel accounts. When we get to verse 16, Jesus does not just touch the children. Mark says he takes them in his arms and he blesses them and he lays his hands on them. Mark is trying to make clear how Jesus is slowing down to delight in these children, almost as if he's snuggling with them. He has gotten down in the dirt with them. He's looking at them face to face and eye to eye as he gathers them into his bosom. And we're seeing two things here. First, as Ephesians 1.8 says, Jesus lavished the riches of his grace upon us. Lavish means he showered us with his grace. He is not reserved or hesitant at all. When we come to him in our vulnerability and mess, rather than shying away from us, He gets down in the dirt with us. He gathers us in his arms and he blesses us and he lays his hands on us. He's unhurried with us. How marvelous his grace that caught our falling soul. He looked beyond our faults and saw our need. I wonder if you know something about that. I wonder if you know something about Jesus getting into the dirt with you. I wonder if you know something about Jesus looking you face to face, eye to eye, when you feel utterly exposed and unwanted. In a moment, we're going to sing a song. And in that song, it says, Thank you, Jesus, just as I am, I come. And when we get to that point, I want you to sing it as though it's your testimony, because it is. Because nobody in here needs to pretend or hide or run away that you can come just as you are. Are you brokenhearted? Are you hurting? Are you overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? Jesus wants you just as you are. And the second thing we see in this interaction is that This is one of only a few times in the Gospels where Jesus touches someone and there's no miracle. When Jesus touched blinded eyes, they would see. When Jesus touched demon-possessed people, they'd be delivered. When Jesus touched dead people, they'd be raised. 
But here, Jesus is all over these kids and no miracle. Why? I believe it's because the miracle is, regardless of the state of your life, regardless of the status of your life, you have access to God. I, I, I know it's simple. I know it's not that extravagant, but I believe that is the miracle. The, the, the blessing is that, that uh, even if he does not do anything for us, that when we come to him, Jesus will embrace us. His compassion is as transformative as his power. His compassion is as transformative as his power. Amen. I gave it to you so I get an amen right there. Amen. He wants us. And we can have him. There's no special offering. There's no special sacrifice or work. There's no purification ritual. All of that was accomplished on the cross and in the resurrection. He died and was raised that we could walk into his presence without fear. So then let us come with confidence, draw near the throne, to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. If you want God, right now you can have him. But the question is, will you come to him? Will you come weak and poor in spirit? Will you come needy and dependent as a child and trust that that is all that is required to have what you long for most in your life? Jesus is calling for you. He's calling for you. Jesus wants to flip the ranking system and welcome us. Let the children come to me, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. May it be so that we would take our cues from the little ones here and receive this king and this kingdom like a child. Amen? Amen. Will you pray with me? Jesus, thank you that you suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that you would bring us to God. Thank you that your sacrifice is sufficient and you see us in our need. And you don't flinch and you don't run, but you delight in us. Would you meet us there in the wounded place, in the crushed place, in the needy place? and lavish us with your grace and draw us near. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.